From B Media Production, this is Business Essentials, practical advice and ideas to grow your business. Welcome to this episode of Business Essentials Podcast. I'm Peter Letts. So you're going into business with someone else. Maybe you're already in business with others or considering bringing in a new equity partner. Have you got a co-ownership agreement or what's commonly referred to these days as a business prenup? They're essential, according to Andrew Henshaw and Scott McKenzie of Velocity Legal. Such agreements set the boundaries for the co-ownership relationship and can be enormously helpful, they say, if something goes wrong. Andrew and Scott have drawn up a list of issues to be included in the agreement, which they highlight for Heather Dawson. First, the question of a forced exit. Andrew Henshaw explains why this needs to be included. Without the co-ownership agreement, there is no forced exit. So if you're, you go into business with someone, they, they go to prison, they're still a shareholder or a, or a co-owner. There's nothing you can do if you don't have um, some mechanism of a forced exit. So, so the kind of things we would typically see as forced exit events are, are a death, insolvency or bankruptcy, bringing the business into disrepute. So for example, being charged with fraud, a change of control if the entity that's the, the owner isn't an individual, certain breaches of the shareholder agreement, or in certain scenarios, not, no longer having the necessary qualifications. So if it's a, so if it's a law firm, or for example, then uh, you know, they've got to be practicing lawyers. Right. Well, Scott, turning to you, should you put a dollar figure on how much the person who's leaving will get? And another point you raise, Scott, is um, could insurance cover the cost? Yeah, absolutely. They're great questions. And in terms of putting a precise dollar figure on it, it won't be possible to kind of hard code a figure in at the very beginning when the co-ownership agreement's signed, but there should certainly be a calculation methodology put into the document. And the reason why that's essential is it can be a really awkward situation where someone's kicked out of the business, essentially forced to sell their equity, and then there's no clarity on how much they're actually getting paid out to exit. And all of these events of default, they have a bit of emotion attached to them, things like death or you know, saying that someone hasn't done the right thing by the business and forcing them out. So it's important to really set that clear methodology in place in the document just to make it as clean as possible when, um, if an event of default does occur. In terms of the insurance side of things, one difficulty that business owners can find themselves confronted with when event of default occurs is hypothetically, if there are three co-owners, if yourself, myself and Andrew co-owned a business and I got hit by a bus. So I died and then there was an imperative for yourself and Andrew to buy out my equity. Now, most of the calculation methodologies used in these documents, um, they'll have some kind of reference to fair market value being paid to my estate. Now, unless yourself and Andrew had sufficient liquid cash to actually pay me out or buy me out, it can end up in a bit of a situation where I'm stuck in the business and you can't actually get me out. So insurance can provide a bit of a solution there. So using that death scenario, um, the buyout could effectively be funded through an insurance payout rather than yourself and Andrew reaching into your own pockets. Right. Moving on to working capital for the business. Um, What's to be considered there, Scott? 
Um, so first of all, it's really important to just consider whether there are any unique working capital requirements for the business or any particular requirements that should be built into the document. And there's no one size fits all approach. It really will depend on the nature of the business and what its working capital requirements are like and whether it's appropriate to actually require the individual co-owners to make contributions towards a working capital if it's needed in future. Now, Andrew, another inclusion for a co-ownership agreement is dispute resolution. So what needs to be specified there? Yeah, dispute resolution is absolutely essential. And and the objective of dispute resolution is, is to avoid a costly dispute in court, lawyers involved, lots of legal fees. Typically, they will involve a series of steps which will try to cool heads and resolve the dispute. So usually, it's sort of quite procedural and it's uh, there's a formal dispute notice usually. So one person giving the other uh, notice of the dispute. We would generally recommend a sort of a, a good faith negotiation period after that where the co-owners get together and try to sort of thrash it out. That's good for, I guess, cooling heads. It, it can be an emotional time and you sort of it can escalate very quickly. So if any steps you can build in to avoid that happening, the better. Um, if that doesn't work, usually we'd see a mediator being appointed and, and a mediation process. Now, the mediator could be a business advisor or the business advisor could have a role in uh, appointing the mediator. If that mediation process is unsuccessful, it may go to an uh, independent expert for determination for something that's, uh, let's say, a valuation question. It might be an uh, independent expert, it might be accountant, or it could be an arbitration process that could be appropriate. It really depends on what kind of dispute it is. So it's important to sort of include different mechanisms for different types of disputes. And this whole process will need to be complied with before any court proceedings can be issued. So it really lessens the, the possibility of that happening. Okay. All right. Now, um, the question of passive ownership needs to be included. Um, Scott, what's important about this? Essentially, this all comes down to setting clear expectations from the very beginning of the relationship. And we often see situations where a business is either commenced or there's a a history of the business where the co-owners are all heavily involved in the business and they're contributing a lot of time and energy to it. But then in the future, there's a potential that one of those co-owners might decide to go on a very, very long holiday or they might, for whatever reason, not want to be as actively involved in the business anymore. So I guess you will want to always front foot this potential issue and consider whether it is acceptable for one or more of the co-owners to take a more passive role and If so, whether any parameters should be put around their contribution to the business if they are more passive. And specifying decision-making. But do you really need to put in writing who's going to decide about what in a a business? Yes. So this is a a similar theme from the previous question about really considering things up front and, and having those, I guess, challenging conversations around what the precise boundaries of the relationship will be for the business going forward. And it's important that the co-owners don't ever form a view that goalposts are being shifted or that there was an understanding in the beginning after a few verbal conversations and then all of a sudden it's changing pathways. So 
With decision making, we often find that our clients are really keen to establish protocols around different categories of decisions. So there might be on one end of the spectrum, the very basic operational day-to-day decision making. Like you don't want to have to go and get the consent of your co-owner if you need to buy a pencil. But then at the other end of the spectrum, you'll have very significant decisions like selling the business overall or choosing to change a certain product offering or setting up a new location. So there really should be different thresholds that apply and it's really a matter of having a a very open conversation in the beginning about what parameters should be placed around decision-making requirements. What if the co-owners have already been in business for a while? Presumably it's never too late for a prenup? There's a uh, there's a good proverb that I refer to here, and it's that uh, the best time to plant a tree was yesterday, but the second best time is today. So yes, ideally, it's good to do these when you first go into business. But if you haven't, then it's better now than never, because if you do it now, you can put something in place, and if some dispute arises in the future, then you've got those protections that, that we've talked about so far. So Yes, these can be difficult conversations for for co-owners to have. I think there's really a role for business advisors here as well to strongly encourage their clients to have those conversations and and facilitate or even lead those conversations. So it really just starts with getting everyone together in a room, have a very brutally honest conversation about you know, what direction they see the business going and building from there. It does take a while to, from that first conversation to putting something in place because, you know, with more mature businesses, there's probably more of a chance of those sort of misalignments and more sort of at stake because it's a well-established business as well. So we find the process does take a bit longer, but if they're committed to starting, then we can definitely push them along the process. Now, Andrew, um, an area that I can imagine is really important is agreeing on what to do with any profits that come from the business, whether to you know pocket them or reinvest them. So what would you specify in a prenup about that? Without putting any of these parameters in place, we find business owners can often treat the business as their personal bank account. So the co-owners will, will take drawings during the year, so loans from the business, and then at the end of the year, we've got to sort of square it up or work it out, and that might involve for a company having to declare dividends to offset those loans. And if those drawings haven't been taken in proportion to equity, that can also lead to problems about trying to fix that up. So owners can agree to reinvest profits. In the case of a company, that's relatively straightforward. It's uh, just uh, don't declare a dividend. And in the case of unit trusts and partnerships, it's a little bit more complex because those entities generally need to distribute their profits to the co-owners. The co-owners can then agree to reinvest a certain amount back into the business. In terms of what should be included in a uh, prenup document, it will depend on the owners. So some agreements will simply provide that all loans and dividends must be unanimously agreed to and generally that the accountant should be consulted, whereas others will be more detailed and they'll set out minimum amounts which should be reinvested in the business. We find that's usually a good approach. And with these things, there is still some flexibility. So the co-owners may agree that that minimum amount is too high and they can vary it with unanimous consent. However, it provides that sort of expectation that um, that's going to be followed. Okay. Now, Scott, there should be a provision regarding the sale of equity to third parties. That's one of the points that you raise. Um, What needs to be covered there? 
Well, really, this comes down to the business owners considering under what circumstances it would be permissible for a co-owner to go off and sell their equity to someone else. And there are a range of options here. So on one end of the spectrum, you'll, you could allow a co-owner to literally go off to anyone in the street and, and sell their equity to them. And that could be allowed. Or there are other alternatives such as what's known as a first right of refusal process. And putting aside the legal jargon, that really comes down to a requirement before you offer to sell your equity to a third party, you'd be required to offer it to your existing co-owners for them to purchase. And there are other advanced kind of mechanisms you can build into these contracts, such as what are known as drag-along or tag-along rights. Uh, A drag-along right is essentially, it's an ability for traditionally a majority shareholder or equity holder to drag a minority equity holder into a sale to a third party. So even if that minority equity holder doesn't want to sell, the majority equity holder can potentially drag them in. The other more advanced um, mechanism is the the tag-along right where it's the reverse of the drag-along in the sense that the minority equity holder is really empowered to tag along in a sale process that the majority equity holders undergoing. So I guess the upshot of it is it's important to just consider under what circumstances any of the co-owners should be able to offer their equity for sale. Right. And uh, the question also of restraint of trade? Yeah, it's a very important um, aspect of these co-ownership agreements or these business prenups because the goodwill of the business, it must be protected. And these robust restraint of trade obligations are a great way of, of really protecting the business. And there is a bit of a misconception that these restraints of trade are, are very difficult to enforce because the most common situation in which um, people encounter restraints of trades are in just more basic employment contracts. And they can be difficult to enforce in employment contracts. However, uh, the courts have made it quite clear that restraints of trades, um, requirements that are built into co-ownership agreements are very readily enforceable and the courts will enforce them, provided that, you know, they clear what is a relatively easy hurdle to clear. And these restraints of trade provisions have a number of different manifestations. So, one example is a non-compete restraint of trade. So you can't go and set up a competing business over the road, for example. And then another manifestation is a non-solicit restraint where, for example, you might be prevented from approaching customers of the business or employees of the business and trying to siphon them off to a different business. And then there's another kind of category that we have found to be very effective, which is more of a non-disparagement restraint where the co-owners effectively agree that they won't go out and say anything or do anything which would compromise the reputation of the business more generally or their co-owners. So 
without you know going into too much detail on them, uh, restraints of trade really are a fundamental cornerstone of these agreements. Okay. And uh, a last point in the agreement uh, you advise is for the business to consider any unique pressure points. So what does that mean? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question and it will depend on the precise business, but really it comes down to considering whether there's anything unique or any unique issue that should be contemplated in the document. So, for example, there might have been a, an expectation between the co-owners that you know, you'd both be in business for at least five years and you would really give this a solid go. And then if someone left the business early, there'd be some kind of discount to their exit price for that. Or someone might have entered the, the co-owned business and made promises that, look, I will personally make sure that we achieve some financial goal. And if that financial goal isn't achieved, then what happens? Or there might be some kind of agreement between the parties in relation to client relationships or customer relationships and how they must be managed. So it really is just a matter of considering the unique situation that the co-owners find themselves in and establishing any boundaries that need to be established. Okay, well, I've got just one more question, maybe for you, Scott. Um, can a prenup agreement really save the day in the event of a, a major dispute when co-owners just can't get along with each other and, in fact, end up hating each other's guts? Yeah, it's, uh, these documents really do um, provide a bit of a pathway for a forced exit or a mechanism which allows the business owners to amicably resolve disputes if possible. So I guess the upshot is if there is a major issue, the co-ownership agreement or the business prenup really should allow either that dispute to be resolved or it should provide a circuit breaker so that the parties can move on as quickly as possible and to really protect the business. So absolutely, even if they hate each other's guts, um, these contracts are you know, the best way of really making sure that things um, proceed in, in a fair and reasonable way as fast as possible. Andrew Henshaw and Scott McKenzie, Velocity Legal. And that ends Business Essentials Podcast. So you don't miss out on future episodes, why not subscribe? And if you found this valuable, we'd love you to leave a review. For further information about us, or if you'd like to listen to more interviews like this one, visit businessessentials.com.au. We hope you've enjoyed Business Essentials Podcast. I'm Peter Letts. Thanks for listening. This Business Essentials podcast has been produced by B Media Production, building engagement and adding value through quality audio communication. Music